Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, beginning to read at verse 31. The prophet Jeremiah says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says, He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my de sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. The New Covenant. Christ, the covenant of consummation. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you and praise you that you have been persistent with men in their sin. And we thank you that you have brought to completion that great work that you have begun. We praise and adore you that you are so faithful to all your promises. And we ask that you will call us to a higher faith in that which you are yet to do. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Just remember that the last time I gave this particular message on the new covenant, all the lights went out. And I'm glad I was able to do it without any notes. I'm not sure I could do it this time, but let's see what happens. The new covenant. The promises are absolutely great, the new covenant, the covenant of consummation. But are you an inheritor of the promises of the new covenant? Is the new covenant something that is for someone else? And you are simply to be a spectator looking on in the fulfillment of these promises. Well, let's begin with just three passages from the new covenant scriptures themselves and see what they say about your participation. First, Luke chapter 22, verse 20. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 20. You will remember this verse as soon as you hear it because it is used so often in our worship services. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Is the new covenant for you? Why, of course it is. For every time you celebrate the Lord's Supper in this church, you are celebrating your participation in the new covenant. When you eat that broken portion of bread, when you drink of that cup, you are thinking all the way back to the time of God's covenant with Abraham in which he saw the vision of God's image passing between the pieces that had been torn apart in which God said, I promise that if necessary, my flesh will be torn apart in fulfillment of these covenant promises. So are you a participator in the promises of the new covenant? Indeed you are. Now let's look again at another passage in the New Testament, Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 15. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15, we have a quotation from Jeremiah chapter 31, where the new covenant was prophesied. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. The forgiveness of sins that you experience is because you are a participant in the blessings of the new covenant. And a third passage, which is often overlooked in terms of its relation to the new covenant, is found in 1 John chapter 2, 27 and 28. 1 John chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. The Apostle John says, As for you, that is, you New Covenant Christians, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. You remember the prophecy of Jeremiah? They will have no need of a teacher, because the Holy Spirit will be given to them. And you do not have any need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he has taught you, remain in him. Are you a participant of the new covenant? Well, if God has given you his Holy Spirit so that you, by the reading of Scripture, can understand his will on your own, then obviously you have participated in that chief blessing of the new covenant of God's Spirit living in your heart and life. So, we are participants in the new covenant. Now, with that thought in mind, let's go back and look at the new covenant. And we're going to begin this evening just by presenting something of the setting, something of the context in which the new covenant prophecy is given in the book of Jeremiah. 
there are several items, several elements that are associated with that particular time in Israel's history when the new covenant prophecy was given. And the first of these items is that Jeremiah prophesied in a circumstance in which Israel was about to return from their exile. It is in a context of the return of the nation of Israel from their exile that the prophecy concerning the new covenant was given. They are to return to the land. Now think just a minute about the exile of Israel. What was its significance? Well, it was like a death. It was almost like going to Hades when Israel went into exile. It was as though the whole election process were reversed. For Israel had started with Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees, away from the land of promise. God brought them to that land. But now what has happened? Well, in the exile, you see a reversal of that process, and Israel is now sent back into their exile. They're like the rest of the Gentile nations of the world. They have lost their distinctiveness. But in that context, God makes a promise. God makes a prediction. Jeremiah says that within 70 years, you shall return from the land to which you have been exiled. And in that context... He says, there's going to be a new covenant that I'm going to establish with you. So here is the context. It is the context of a restoration to the land which Israel had lost in the exile. Now to understand the significance of this promise of a return to the land from which Israel had been exiled, you need to understand something of what might be called the cash-in value the cash-in value of the promise concerning the land. It used to be, perhaps a decade or so ago, that if you pulled a $1 bill out of your wallet, you could notice that it had written over it, silver certificate. Now, some of you know what that means. Others of you don't even know what that means. What did that mean? Well, that meant that with that dollar bill, you could go to a bank... And you could say, I want a dollar's worth of silver for this piece of paper. And the banker would go back into his vault and he would get a dollar's worth of silver. And he would give it to you, or in one way or another, you could exchange that piece of paper for a dollar's worth of good, hard silver. Well, those days are gone now. It's just a piece of paper. And you can't go in the bank and say, give me a dollar's worth of silver. So it doesn't have any cash-in value. They would look at you and scratch your head if you said, I want some cash in value from this dollar. There's nothing you can get for it. It's just pure paper. Well, now, what's the cash in value of God's promise with respect to the possession of a land? Well, to understand that completely, you have to use what, or just to illustrate that, you might think in terms of what might be called the slide projector perspective of God's Old Testament prophecy concerning the land. The slide projector perspective. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's suppose I have one of those little slides here. Just got a little piece of cardboard around it and a thin piece of cellophane with some little things in the middle of it now. Now, that doesn't seem to have a whole lot of value, but let's 
Think about that slide projector or that slide for a moment. There had to have been originally some object of which a picture was taken. That's where you get the slide. There was some reality there of which a picture was taken. And that's what's on the slide. And furthermore, when you put that, drop that slide into the projector, it projects toward the future, you might say, that reality which is yet to come. Now let's think a minute of this picture of a beautiful land, of a land flowing with milk and honey, which is the imagery of the land of promise in the Old Testament. Let's think of a land in which every man lives under his own vine and under his own fig tree. That's a beautiful slide, that picture. But what was the reality that that slide in the Old Testament captured? Well, it was a picture of paradise. It was a picture of that land which the people of God, that is Adam and Eve, possessed originally and then lost. Paradise was the land flowing with milk and honey. Paradise was the land under which the only man there lived under his own vine and under his own fig tree and enjoyed the material blessings of the world that God had made. So that's where God got the origin of this idea of promising to his people in the Old Covenant a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a picture of a return to paradise. Now let's project into the future. Let's put the slide into the machine. For the Old Covenant, as you know, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies about the future. And as you project into the future, what is the image that you see. Well, it's not just return to that little geographic land of Palestine. It's return to paradise. The Old Testament picture of return to Palestine is a larger picture of the return of God's people to the lost land of paradise. As Jesus was dying on the cross, fulfilling the promises of all the Old Testament covenants concerning God's willingness even to give his son to die to redeem his people, someone asked him a question. Lord, would you remember me? And what did the Lord say? Today you shall be with me in paradise. I will take you to the land the land of promise that I have established for you. So so when you read in the Old Testament about the promises of the land that are to come, think of its origin, of the reality which it captured, and that was paradise. And think of the projection of the future, not simply in terms of a return to that rather barren land of Palestine, even though there are few nice grassy spots there, Think instead of the true land flowing with milk and honey, the land of paradise. Now that's the context, or one of the major elements of the context of the new covenant prophecy. When God says, I will return them to their land, it's a picture of all of God's people streaming into the paradise that he has promised. 
And Christ is the forerunner. Jesus Christ is the center of the new covenant. There would be no new covenant apart from Jesus Christ. And he is the one that has gone before you to paradise. And he has gone, as he said, to prepare for you a place in paradise. Sometimes people make fun of Christians because they say, oh, Christians, they believe in a pie in the sky by and by. Why, yes, I do. And with every passing year, I believe even more fervently. And as soon as the sooner, the more I see just how short our human life is, I claim that reality that there is a paradise, that there is a pie in the sky that's not really very far from now in which we shall inherit the blessings of the new covenant that Christ has established for us. Now, a second element that is associated with that with respect to the new covenant promises are a restoration of all the blessings upon that land. It is going to be a glorious land that is involved in the new covenant. And here, look, if you will, at Ezekiel, at a passage that represents Ezekiel's prophecy concerning the new covenant. Ezekiel's prophecy about the new covenant is found in chapters 36 and 37. But look in particular at Ezekiel chapter 37. What is the prophecy about? It's a very familiar prophecy. It's a prophecy about the dry bones. But this is Ezekiel's prophecy of the new covenant. Hear this portion of the word of God. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these dry bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you know. Then he said to me, Preach to these bones. And say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I preached and as I, as I was commanded, and as I was preaching, there was a noise, a rattling sound. Boy, we hear some rattling here, but can you imagine the, the feeling that Ezekiel felt as he looked up from his notes and saw what was happening in that valley? And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, preached? To the breath, preach, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I preached as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, preach and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you. See, that's the new covenant prophecy. And you will live and I will settle you in your own land. That's paradise. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. What a dramatic picture. Preaching to dry bones. Preaching to very, very dry bones. And all of a sudden a rattling occurs and the bones come together. And what does that mean about the new covenant? Well, it means that the new covenant will involve a resurrection from the dead. Not just a spiritual resurrection, but a bodily resurrection from the dead. That's what the new covenant is all about. There is a vast valley of dry bones all over the face of the earth, down in the bottom of the sea. They may not be dry bones, but they are very dead bones. But one day, all of those dry bones are going to hear the voice of the Lord. And those bones are going to come to life. For the resurrection is a part, an essential part, of the blessings of the new covenant. The only way that you could experience the blessings of the restoration of the land is in the new body and the new spirit that will be given to you by the resurrection. Now look at the New Testament. In Romans chapter 8, and you can see how the Apostle Paul says this word about the new covenant. It speaks directly to you. When you get weary, when you get tired, when your bones are beginning to feel very weary, when your spirit is getting very dry, don't be surprised. That's just a part of our present existence. That's a part of our present life. But we are to live with the hope of the future fulfillment of the new covenant. See what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy, worth comparing with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The creation, not just the land of Palestine, but the whole creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, when the resurrection occurs, there's going to be a new earth. And the whole creation is groaning and waiting for that day. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know, says Paul, that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right to the present time. These fearful storms that wreak havoc upon the earth. We know that those are not the normal kinds of things that a God of order has created for his world. These terrible circumstances in which masses of people are brought to death itself That's not an orderly way. And so the whole creation is groaning. And they have an expectation. And what is it? 
They are groaning, not only those, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's the new covenant. And you are going to experience that blessing by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to get weary. You're going to groan along with the whole of creation. You're going many days to long for that heavenly home that God has promised to you. But be patient. Wait as the whole of the creation must wait. And be assured that all of those promises related to the new covenant are ultimately going to be fulfilled by the resurrection from the dead. Now, associated with that also is the internal renewal of the heart. Look back at Ezekiel chapter 37, or Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Here's another aspect of the new covenant, which you, by the grace of God, already have experienced. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Oh, how love I thy law. That is the testimony of those who have experienced the new covenant. There is also, according to Jeremiah, in the context of the new covenant, the full forgiveness of our sins. Their sins I will remember no more, says Jeremiah. I will blot out their transgressions. And that will be one of the great blessings of the new covenant. Furthermore, according to the prophecies of the new covenant, there will be a wonderful reunion of the people of God. One of the great tragedies of Israel's history was the breaking apart of the northern and the southern kingdom. Because they were separated from one another, they came to war against one another. Now, war is an awful thing. We have been blessed by not having the scourge of war on our particular country for the past hundred years. We are an exceptional land compared to the rest of the nations of the world. We don't understand what great blessings we have experienced over the past hundred years and not having war devastate our land. But one of the prophecies and one of the blessings of the new covenant is that the day is going to come that there will be no warring factions in the earth anymore. God will unite the Israel of God He will take the northern and the southern kingdoms and bring them together into a unity that will never be broken. You will live at peace with all your brothers. Now, we need to recognize also that it's not just a unity among those Jews that will believe in our Lord Jesus Christ that will be accomplished in the new covenant, but it will be also a unity with the Gentiles that have been grafted in to the Israel of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. In Ephesians chapter 3, you can see the blessing of the oneness that is established by Christ in the new covenant. 
Ephesians 3, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace. That's the new covenant, the covenant of grace. God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of the Messiah. That's what Christ is, the Messiah. What is the mystery of the Messiah? Which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been openly manifested by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, what is it? It is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. You who believe in Christ are grafted into the Israel of God under the new covenant. You become bound to God in the fellowship of this covenant, and you become inheritors of all the blessings that God gave to Israel. There is no such thing as a second-rate citizen in the kingdom of God. Just as much as Abraham, you are an inheritor. You are one possessed by God, by his grace. You are one for whom the Messiah came and over whom the Messiah reigns. That is the context of the promise of the new covenant. And finally, the new covenant comes in the context of the promise that it is an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant. Now, there is reference in all the other covenants of the Old Testament to there being everlasting covenants also. We know that there are temporal, temporary dimensions in all those other covenants, but they find their everlasting fulfillment in the new covenant. The new covenant is distinctive in its everlasting character in that it is the last of God's covenant. It is the last of God's covenants. There has been a history from the creation of the world, and that history has been structured by the covenants that God made with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. He gave the promise of the new covenant, and that's the last one. It will go on forever and ever. We may rejoice and give thanks that God will not change. God will not alter a single one of his promises. You are bound in an everlasting covenant with God because Christ is everlasting, because you are one with him by faith, and because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Your relationship to God and all his promises is secure. It's a wonderful thing to notice that when the prophecy, the prediction of the future, was in the mind of the prophets of the Old Testament, they spoke in terms of a covenant, a new covenant. And you are the heirs of that new covenant by faith. Let us pray. 
Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that Jesus Christ has come in fulfillment of all your promises. Help us, O Lord, to turn our eyes away from ourselves upon Christ, who is the fulfillment, the yea and amen of all the promises that you have given. Teach us how to rejoice in the unity that we have in Christ and with one another. Teach us to rest securely in the eternality of his commitment to us. And now encourage us by that spirit that you have given us, that you have poured out upon us according to the provisions of the new covenant. Give to each one of us a hope that will keep us from despair as we consider the resurrection of the dead, the inheritance of paradise that is ours for sure because of the covenant of Christ. But we pray in his name. Amen.